Well, Happy New Year. <laughs> we had um, Aya Medanandi here yesterday for the New Year's Eve uh, send-off. <laughs> it was really, really lovely. The next New Year's Eve is um, a Sunday, so hopefully we'll have her again. Yeah, the um, audio will be up on our website in a couple of weeks. She'll be editing it first and, and then sending it back to me. And then one day I'll get it up. <laughs> I get a little behind on those uh, uploading onto the podcast, but it will get up at some point. So I wanted to talk a little bit today um, about gratitude, uh, my experience of it, uh, the lessons I've learned uh, over the years from the monastics. It's quite a, uh, a profound teaching. It, it's definitely something that I've heard a lot about, a lot of sharing, a lot of training in, just mainly through example, just watching how grateful the monastics are for their teachers. Uh, Lumpur Cha, uh, Mahaboa, uh, you know, just very, very, their training is such that they are very, very respectful and um, very, very grateful. Um, the gratitude comes up naturally through their training as they recognize how beneficial it is for their well-being, for the happiness of their mind and the peacefulness of their heart through the training, through their training that their teachers have given them. Gratitude comes up because they become so much more peaceful, so much more at ease, and learn to train their minds to go where they want their mind to go. I remember sitting, I've, I've, some of you will have heard this before, I remember sitting uh, at a Bayagiri Many years ago, I'd only just started coming, and a layperson had asked Lumpur Pasana, what does an arahant think? And this is a person, an arahant is a person whose training is complete. They're done. They're, they're headed for nibbana. They will not be born again, period. But whatever that means, they have done the, completed their training. So what does an arahant think? And Lumpur Pasana's answer was, an arahant thinks whatever they want to think. And just imagine that, that you only thought what you wanted to think. You, direct, you had such a trained mind that you could steer it wisely all the time. I think it's worth training for that goal. 
And as a person trains, they become, we all become more and more able to not uh, only witness, but feel the benefit of directing our mind slowly but surely. It doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen all at once. But we begin to see, I, um, Menanandi was talking about yesterday how we can train our minds to put down unwholesome thoughts by picking up metta, by intentionally willing a heart of loving kindness. And it'll put down unwholesome thoughts, unwholesome feelings. So I wanted to, I'm going to read a little bit about uh, Ajahn Jayasaro is a hermit in, of this lineage in, uh, um, in Thailand. And he's quite famous and um, actually is a, a uh, counselor for the king of Thailand. I believe I have that right. I know he's a counselor of somebody in the royal family, and I think it's the king, possibly a prince, but um, he's, he's uh, founded a school over there that's based in Buddhism. Um, and he's visited here, Portland Friends of the Dhamma, uh, a few times. I'm not sure he's been in this particular building, but we've had him a few times. He's visited when he's been in the States. So we're very fortunate of that. So I'm going to read anyway a little bit in a minute about how gratitude came up for Ajahn Jayasaro as he uh, started to pick up the training. And um, when I came across this, it made me think, he talks about his parents, mostly his mother. Um, and it made me think of Lampropasano, who's like the, he's like my father in Dhamma. Um, he's the reason Portland Friends of the Dhamma had, he's the inspiration behind Portland Friends of the Dhamma being established. And he visits us every year. He's missed one one year when he was on sabbatical for a year. He helps us fundraise. He gave us this Buddha Rupa. He has brought most all the monks that have visited here have done so under his encouragement. He has directed many, many monks, Ajahn Liam, Ajahn Suchito, Ajahn Jayasaro, Ajahn Dundi. I mean, just many. We've had over 30 different monastics, um, probably over 50, actually. Uh, visit here with the encouragement of Ajahn Pasano. So I'm very, very grateful um, for him. This place wouldn't exist if it wasn't for him. It, it wouldn't still be here if it wasn't for him. He directed the uh, 
$25,000 to come to Portland Friends of Dhamma when we decided that we wanted to uh, encourage the establishment of uh, Hermitage, which now is Pacific Hermitage. So it just is a huge support. And it's something that I don't think about every day. I mean, I, I really appreciate uh, the existence of Portland Friends of the Dhamma. I really enjoy practicing in community. Ajahn Pasano has spoken about Portland Friends of the Dhamma as a place of training. We have a reputation in Thailand of a very well-trained lay community. That's just, uh, and this is because of his influence and his training of Jessica and I and various others. So in reading this little bit, which I'll read in a minute about Ajahn Jayasaro's uh, rising of gratitude, his lesson of gratitude, the feeling and the benefit of that, the beauty of it, it made me think of, yeah, that's like non-corpasano for me. It's like my Dhamma dad, Dhamma dad, my Dhamma daddy. I think I'll delete that piece. <laughs> So, Ajahn Jayasaro, in this book, Gratitude, and in this section called Daughters and Sons. Many years ago, before I was ordained as a monk, I believed that wisdom came from experience, so I left my home country of England for India, roaming around and gathering life experience in Europe and Asia. The more difficult it was, the more I liked it, because I felt that difficulties helped me to know myself better, and that was beneficial to my life. But the overland trip to India was a little disappointing, it was not as challenging as I expected, and so on the way back I resolved to travel from Pakistan to England without any money. I, wonder if it, I wondered if it would be possible to hitchhike all the way back. And I also wanted to know how it would feel to have nothing at all. It was quite an adventure, several occasions I will never forget. I would like to tell you about one of them. By the time I arrived in Tehran, the capital city of Iran, I was exhausted. I was as thin as a stick, my clothes were all dirty and crumpled, and I must have looked pretty awful. I was shocked when I saw myself in the mirror of a public restroom. As for my mind, it was more and more like that of a hungry ghost, constantly worrying about food. Will I get anything to eat today or not? Whether my stomach would be empty or full depended on the kindness of fellow human beings. I had to rely on my parami because there was nothing else to rely on. And then I met an Iranian man who felt sorry for me and also saw a chance to practice his English. He treated me to a cup of tea and gave me a small amount of money. At night I slept on the street, hidden in a small, quiet alley. I was afraid that policemen would beat me up if they found me. In the morning I walked to a soup shop and I remembered served 
that I remembered served free bread. While I was walking along the street, trying not to look at the tempting restaurants in the corner of my eyes and not to smell the aroma that lingered in the air, I noticed a woman walking toward me. She looked stunned when she saw me. She stopped in her tracks, stared for a moment, and then walked up to me with a scowl on her face. Using sign language, she told me to follow her, and being a seeker of experience, I did. After walking for about 10 minutes, we reached a townhouse and rode an elevator to the fourth floor. I assumed we were going to her apartment, but she still had said not a single word. No friendly smile, just a fierce face. Once the door was opened, I saw that it was indeed her apartment. She took me to the kitchen and pointed to a chair, signaling me to sit down. And then she brought me many kinds of food. I felt as if I was in heaven. It made me realize that the most delicious food in the world is the food you eat when you're truly hungry and your stomach is growling. The woman called out to her son and said something to him, which I couldn't understand, but I noticed that he was around my age. The son came back after a while with a pair of pants and a shirt. And when she saw that I'd finished, and when she saw that I'd finished eating, the woman pointed to the bathroom and said, signaled me to bathe and change into the new clothes. I guess she planned to burn my old ones. She didn't smile at all, said nothing, and made herself understood with sign language. While bathing, I thought that maybe this lady saw in me her own son and was thinking, what if my son traveled to a foreign country and had a hard time like this? What if he was in such a pitiful state? What would that be like? I thought that she must have helped me. Um, I thought that she must have helped me with a mother's love. I described to a point, I decided, sorry, there's movement on the uh, screen and I'm finding it distracting. <laughs> so when I was ready, the woman took me back to the spot where we met and left me there. She merged me back, she merged back into this dream of people who were walking to work. I stood there watching her disappear into the crowd and deep inside knew that I would never forget her in my entire life. I was very moved and my eyes were teary. She gave me so much. She even, um, even though we didn't know each other at all, I was as skinny as a dried corpse. My clothes were dirty and smelly and my hair was long and messy. She didn't mind that at all. She even took me into her house and took good care of me as if I was her own son without expectation of anything at all in return, not even a word of thanks. It has been over 20 years now and I would like to publicly extol the virtue of this sulky faced bodhisattva so that everyone will know that even in a big city, there are still good people and there may be good people more than we think. This woman was not the only good-hearted person I met. I received kindness and help from people in many countries. While I was traveling and collecting life experience, even though I did not ask anyone for anything. It made me determined in my mind that in future, if I was in a position to help others in the same kind of way, I would. I wanted to help to sustain the spirit of human kindness in the world. 
Society can seem hard and heartless place sometimes, but I thought we can each try to at least to be at least a small oasis in the desert. I didn't get all the way back to England. I lost my passport near the Turkish border and returned to Tehran, where I met, made friends and got a job teaching English. After a few months, with some money in my pocket, I returned to India. My 19th birthday found me living by the side of the lake of a lake in a hin, with a Hindu monk. He was an inspiring teacher whose practice whose practices were similar to Buddhism, and he taught me many things. While I stayed with him, I had plenty of time to contemplate my life. In the afternoon, I liked to climb up nearby. By, I liked to climb up a nearby mountain, sit under an old tree, and enjoy the breeze. Looking down to the lake below and the desert that expanded all the way to the horizon allowed me to think clearly. One day, my mind became full of questions. Why was it? that whereas I was so impressed every time I remembered the kindness of the people had helped me during my journey, those who gave me food or shelter for a night or two, I'd never felt the same way about the kindness of my parents. They'd looked after me for 18 years, given me food every single day three or four times a day, and they'd still worried that the food might not be delicious enough for me. They'd given me clothes and shelter. They'd taken me to a doctor when I was sick, and when I was ill, they'd seemed to suffer more than I did. Why was I never impressed with that? I suddenly felt that I'd been shamefully unjust. I realized how much I'd taken them for granted. At that moment, it was as if a dam burst. My examples, many examples of my parents, Boon Kun, their generosity and kindness, that's what Boon Kun is, their generosity and kindness, came to my mind so overwhelmingly, so impressive. That was the beginning of my gratitude toward my parents. I continued to imagine how difficult it must have been for my, for my mother when she was pregnant. At the beginning, she must have had morning sickness, and later on it would have been difficult for her to walk. All kinds of movement must have been cumbersome and painful, but she accepted the suffering because she believed that there was something worthwhile in it, and, there was, and that something was me. When I was young, I had to depend on my parents for everything. But why did I feel indifferent, as if it were their duty to give me, to give, and my right to receive? After a while, I realized that I gained the opportunity to practice Buddhism in order to develop a true inner refuge, because my parents had provided me with a stable, dependable external refuge when I was young. They'd given me a strong foundation for my heart to take on the battle with the to take on the battle with the defilements. When I was 20 years old, I traveled to Thailand to be ordained as a Buddhist monk. My parents made no objections because they wanted their son to live his life the way he wanted to be and to be happy. My parents chose this over their own hopes for me. Last year, my mother confessed to me that the day I left home was the saddest day in her life. I was very moved by this. <clears throat> What impressed me the most was the fact that she had been very patient and concealed the suffering from me for 20 years, 
because she didn't want me to feel bad about it. After I became a monk, sometimes I couldn't help reproaching myself. While I lived with my parents every day, I had the opportunity to do things for them in return for their love and hardly ever did so. Now I had the desire to express my sense of gratitude in tangible ways, but could not. I was a monk and I lived thousands of miles away from them. What a pity. And yet I could do what monks have done for over 2,000 years and sent them thoughts of loving kindness every day. Just thought that was really beautiful. Um, and I can relate it to Lumpur Pasano in how many travel times he has traveled here to Portland. You know, many, many, many times he's traveled here to Portland. And it's only recently that I've learned how painful it is for her, him to fly. For him, he doesn't even take long trips in caravans anymore. He used to be shuttled up. But he has, uh, when he was young, he had an accident where he crushed his pelvic area and um, he gets older. It's uh, quite painful for him to sit quietly. And he, and I, and he never speaks about this. Um, but he continues to come. The support we have received from Longpore Pasano over all of the years that Portland Friends of the Dhamma has existed has been phenomenal and uh, inspiring. And so we just want to encourage us to send him gratitude from our heart, send him thoughts of loving kindness for all that he has given and continues to give us here at Portland Friends of the Dhamma. Jessica, would you like to say anything? <clears throat> sure. I'll turn this on when you put it on you. Um, yeah, I, <clears throat> I teach a number of the introductory classes here, Introduction to Meditation, most recently. And uh, when people ask me what, you know, we have the library, we have the, the books for free distribution downstairs, and people ask me what, what's a good book to start with, you know, if I'm starting my practice, beginning meditation, and I always hand them that one. <laughs> Oh, uh -huh. And it's because it's, it's not about meditation at all, and it's not about, um, it doesn't offer any techniques or <clears throat> sort of descriptions of how to meditate, but it's, that's the book that changed my whole practice. It's, and, um, and that essay in particular uh, inspired me to, to do the same uh, sort of contemplations for my own parents and that of course changed my relationship with them so that book is it's one I go back to uh, over and over and I was so happy that you read from it this morning sorry <laughs> <laughs> that one 
Um, I was gonna, this is gonna be a surprise, uh, but in a couple weeks, <laughs> but in a couple weeks, so we're at Sunday Seal, we're having a, um, we'll be having a special Sunday Seal commemoration of uh, Ajahn Chah. They, in Thailand, they have these big celebrations, they commemorate his death every year. And, um, and Sarah, uh, Westerdale reached out to me, which she has done in the past. She reached out to me this year to uh, put together a commemoration at PFOD again. And so we've been kind of uh, pulling together some ideas and uh, we'll be presenting uh, some information about Ajit Chah's life. And uh, so I, I reached out to Longpur Pasano and uh, asked him to, um, if he would offer a few words of encouragement for us because um, well, on the topic of why it's so important to reflect on the lives of our teachers and reflect on the generosity that they've given us. And uh, so I woke up to an email from Longpur this morning. Oh, lovely. So it's like oh, you're, yeah. you're channeling that or something. <laughs> that was what I did the first thing this morning was read this. Uh, long reflection from Longcore that he sent uh, me so generously in riding in a car, traveling in Thailand. He's in Thailand right now and uh, very busy getting ready for the commemorations there. Uh, but still, that same spirit, he took the time yeah. to send this reflection uh, for the benefit of our community. Uh, even though he really does not have the time <laughs> to do that. He also mentioned that. <laughs> but he sent it. He wouldn't have if he didn't, couldn't, you know, yeah. didn't want to or wasn't able to. And, uh, but he did. And because, you know, he knows how much we benefit from these kind of reflections and this kind of uh, support. Uh, so I, I do, I really appreciate you. Uh, reflecting on him this morning and, and reading from Ajahn Jaya Sarah's essay 